I'm Massimo Bottura. This is Amanda Cohen. This is David Kinch. This is Mike Anthony. This is Huni Kim. This is Amanda Freitag. This is Richard Blaze. This is Paul Kahn. This is Curtis Stein. This is Stephen Harris. This is Missy Robbins. And you're listening to Andrew Talks to Chefs. No guests come in here. And when we open on Friday, no guests will come in unless they need to use the restrooms. My front door will be kept open so no one has to touch it. We have dining on the patio only, and I can put about 40, 42 people out there. My tables are moved eight foot apart. I've ordered disposable glasses one-time use. Our menus will be used one time and disposed. I got individual little packets of salt and pepper that people can use if they so desire. I also give each and every employee a bottle of Listerine, and I make them use it as often as possible. I mean, our dining room is 26 seats. My whole restaurant is 450 square feet. I, I know there's going to be um, um, limitations on, on capacity, and I've heard some people say that they're going to do 25%. I've heard some people do say they're going to do 50%. But the truth of the matter is, at 25%, that gives me six seats. You know, that, that doesn't pay the bills. My landlord, is he wrote all 90-plus of us an email in the first month and said, nobody has to worry about rent for April. Like, I don't want you to think about it. The date is May 7th, 2020, and those are chef owners Scott Ferricchio, Ian Bowden, and Craig Malillo, our guests on this double episode special report of Andrew Talks to Chefs. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is a special report of Andrew Talks to Chefs. I am your host, Andrew Friedman. As always, our great thanks to Sam Pellegrino for covering the production costs of these special reports. We wouldn't have been able to deliver them to you without them. So we have three guests for you today. These are three interviews that I scheduled independently. And when I was about midway through the second of them, I realized that I should put them all together into one show. These special reports are supposed to be 30 minutes each, and we have bundled these together into a one-hour show, so this will be billed as episodes 32 and 33 of our 45 special report series. And the three chefs are from three different markets, and they're in three different stages of lockdown during this pandemic. One of the chefs is Ian Bowden, chef owner of The Shack, a 26-seat restaurant in Stanton, Virginia, who is in full shutdown mode. They are not doing takeaway or anything else at the moment. They are closed. Another one of our guests today is Craig Malillo of Gracie's A Pizza in Portland, Oregon, who has just started after being fully closed for a while doing takeaway. And our first guest, who I'm going to go ahead and introduce you to right now, is Scott Ferricchio. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you may remember that Scott was on this show in February. He had just recently reopened his restaurant Citrus Grill House in Vero Beach, Florida, after a very long period of closure following a catastrophic fire that they needed to rebuild from. And now, of course, he's been shut down, as everyone has been, in accordance with the lockdown around the country of restaurants. But in his county in Florida, they have been allowed to reopen since Monday, He is going to be reopening in a limited capacity his restaurant this Friday, and I invited Scott to come on and talk about what it's like to be on the verge of reopening, what it's like to take the precautions that he thinks are necessary for the reopening. I think it's going to be a highly educational conversation to listen to, both if you are a owner-operator out there, because I think Scott has done a lot of really great thinking about how to do this responsibly. And I think for any diners out there, it might give you a sense of the things you might want to know about restaurants as you start considering returning to them. So with that, here is my conversation with my old friend. He used to cook in New York, and he's now down in my home state of Florida, Scott Verricchio. Okay, so Scott, listeners may remember you. We spoke, uh, what, I guess back in October when I visited you. You've had 
I mean, you just got the place reopened not all that long ago, and then you blink and 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 you've been closed again. Yeah, you know, March has not been a good month for us. Oh, it was March? March was when the fire exactly. was exactly. And and March is the busiest month for the state of Florida. I'll take in an enormous amount of money in March and April, and I missed basically three of them in a row. As we speak here today, you you are getting ready. I guess what by by. By decree, you've been allowed to be open since Monday, but you're going to do your first uh, in-house service on Friday. Is that accurate? That is accurate. You know, I I look at other restaurants in the community that we're in, and they were closed, lock, stock, and barrel, no takeaway, no takeout. And we found out on a Friday we can open Monday. And so, boom, all these places open up on Monday. And to me, it's like there's a lot of preparedness that has to go into, you know, this new phase of what we do, you got to train your staff, you need disposable cups, you need all these different things that we've never had before. For someone to put that together in a weekend, I find it a, a little hasty, personally. And so I wanted to make sure that my restaurant was clean, virally clean. Which consists of what? I mean, I saw your Instagram, but most people I'm sure haven't. So what What? Uh, what are the extra precautions that you've been using this time uh, these extra days that you've taken for yourselves to put into effect? What have you been doing? We hired a company to come in and professionally fog with a antimicrobial, antiviral mist that basically kills anything. And not that I know if there was anything bad in here, but I was just trying to be as prepared as we can because moving forward, it's all about cleanliness. And you want to make sure your guests are taken care of. You want to make sure that your employees are taken care of. And did I need to do that? No, I didn't need to do that. But I wanted to do that to show the, the community that we're taking a full-fledged effort to be as 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 safe as we can. I'm, I don't let anybody in the restaurant now other than workers that have been working for me for the past seven weeks. No guests come in here. And when we open on Friday, no guests will come in unless they need to use the restrooms. And my front door will be kept open so no one has to touch it. We'll have dining on the patio only, and I can put about 40, 42 people out there. My tables are moved eight foot apart. Um, I've ordered disposable glasses one-time use. Our menus will be used one time and disposed. I got individual little packets of salt and pepper that people can use if they so desire. Um, all I had all the filters changed on all my water lines and my ice machines. All the filters in my air system have been changed. Um, you know, anyone that comes in here has to do, you know, the mandatory washing hands very regularly. I also give each and every employee a bottle of Listerine, and I make them use it as often as possible. Of Listerine? You mean to gargle? Yeah. Really? That's one I had not heard. Okay, that makes sense. It supposedly helps get rid of anything that might be in your throat. And any little advantage that we can take, I'll take. It might be, you know, fluff, but I'm, we're still doing it. A couple of questions about what you just said. Nobody in or out. So when deliveries happen now, I don't know what it was usually like there. Do people used to like wheel their hand trucks right into your kitchen? Or are they now leaving things outside? I have two delivery companies that I use right now and they leave they do both if i'm not here and they get here early they leave it on the front porch and if it's the same guy that i know and they wear masks and they wear gloves and they come in but i'm not getting many deliveries right now you know once or twice a week i get small stuff um not a lot you know i get meat once or twice a week vegetables once or twice a week and then dry goods once or twice a week and they, they they've been you know they, they've been really good with the gloves, the masks, um, sa even sanitizing the wheels on their on their hand trucks. This is the thing I have not seen covered anywhere. It seems to me that even restaurants that are practicing, you know, social distancing with how far the tables are from each other and all of this stuff. What about bathrooms? How does one deal with the hygiene in a bathroom? Well, what we what we are going to do, and it, that is a great question is we're going to have one person, one employee, whose job it is, is to open the door for the guest. And then in, in the restroom, there will be sanitary wipes like Clorox or Lysol wipes that the guest can come in and can use to open the door to get out. But 
after each person uses the restroom, it's going to be cleaned every single time. So this is kind of your pandemic version of like a washroom attendant, like people used to have in, you know, yeah. in bathrooms. And, and I, I associate it, to be honest, with nightclubs in New York years ago. Uh, but that's, this is your kind of pandemic version of that. Someone who's going to, yeah, thank you for that answer, because this is the thing that I have not seen covered anywhere. And it's been my question with all the, um, you know, with all the precautions people are taking, this seems to me to be the thing that I have not seen acknowledged anywhere, which is what happens in this private space where, where, where hygiene is, 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 you know, more, uh, more of an issue probably than in any other location in a restaurant. You know, in, in the men's room, we have simply two urinals and one stall. In the ladies' room, we have two stalls. So in the ladies' room, we will only allow one to be used. And so we know which one has to be cleaned. Um, and we'll do a complete wipe down. And I have a, a spore side spray that the company that did the fog gave us that we will use in the restrooms. And it's, it's, um, it's the real deal. So it'll be wiped down each and every time. So, Scott, I don't want to get into the the intimacies. I'm not asking you for figures, but, um, I mean, can you make money on this model? <laughs> That's a great question. Or, or, or would breaking even in the short term be considered a win, so at least you're not, like, hemorrhaging money? Uh, that's yet to be determined. Um, you know, we live in a county that has not had 100 cases yet. Um, I think the fatality number is five people. So it's very isolated here. Um, the making money thing, it's, that's the million dollar question. Um, do I hope so? Of course I hope so. Um, but now as things start and start to lighten up, you know, this is the time of year that people head back up North. So we're heading into our very slow season. That being said, are people not going to want to go back to New York, Boston, and Chicago and spend their summers here for fear? I, you know, I don't know. You have been operating in a limited capacity. You've, you've done the, you know, this is the verb that none of us used before, but you've done the pivot. Um, has it been delivery? Has it been takeaway? Has it been both? What, what have you been doing up until this, this week? We opted not to deliver. Uh, we only do, you know, takeout. It's all no contact takeout. So somebody calls in an order, gives us the charge card number, lets us know what time they want to pick it up. We have the food prepared. We put it out on a table and it's one customer at a time. Their last name is on there. They sign the, um, you know, the receipt for the charge card. And if they decide to tip, that goes into a pool for our staff. And that's what we do. And it's, um, it's, it's been good. I've had to alter what we do because the definition of our food is much more fine dining. And people don't want the fine dining stuff right now. They want the comfort food, the pot pies, the lasagnas, the meatloaves, the roast chickens, you know, a, a bowl of pasta. And so we've kind of dummied down what we do, and people have taken to it quite nicely. That makes me happy. I, I don't get a lot of requests for high-end stuff. Uh, and I, I actually did early today. I had somebody ask for uh, beef carpaccio, lobsters, crab salad, and some Japanese beef. And I was able to get them everything. These things that are, these are, this is a regular customer and these are dishes they were missing? Yes. yes. Okay. Exactly. Nice. Well, that's flattering. Actually, he called yesterday. I was able to procure everything, you know, via delivery system. And he, so he's going to have a great, it's, it's actually, it's his daughter's 16th birthday and he wanted something nice for her. I said, sure, I'll gladly do it. Why not? That's great. So let me ask you, other when they say restaurants are allowed to be open, you are only using your outdoor patio. Is that just because of your own comfort level and the fact that that's open air, which obviously, you know, logically mitigates the risk of people uh, contaminating each other versus an indoor space? Or what's what's the reason for you only doing patio seating? Half my seating is indoors, half my seating is outdoors. So I'm allowed to seat 25% of the indoors and all of the outdoors. I opted only to use outdoors because I think we've got to take baby steps in this next phase of what we do. I think people will feel much more comfortable outside, you know, with with fresh air. And plus, you know, they're sitting here looking at the ocean. It's not a bad view. No, no. I, I had dinner there in October. It's wonderful. And so I, I just think to start, for me, that's the way to go. I don't need to attempt to fill as many seats as I legally can inside just to make more money. I think now it's getting that trust factor and seeing what will work and what won't work. And so that's why I'm opting only to do only to do outdoor dining. 
So listen, people, you know, uh, the, the other question mark for me about, you know, when people start reopening, which is happening in places now, uh, is, you know, nobody wants to go to a restaurant and feel like they're at a hospital, right? Or, or in a in a radio lab, you know a radioactivity you know lab. Um, what are your what kind of instructions are you giving to your staff? What kind of um, what kind of uh, steps are you trying to take to sort of override some of the the I guess I'd call them cosmetic things? You know, servers wearing masks, and this person you have you know stationed at the bathroom. Are 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 you trying to sort of override whatever? Um, visuals that's going to create with how people are speaking to guests with with the tone with music what are you trying to do to maintain an air of of you know festivity in a restaurant i think it's going to be a learning curve we're going to have to see what works and what doesn't work because we've never done this before no one's really done this before and so yes my staff will wear masks but i was able to find very nice masks from headley and bennett the chef apron company and they look nice. They they will also have gloves on, which is going to be a little bit, you know, odd. But I just think I would rather have them look like that than not wear masks and not wear gloves and have feedback saying, hey, they weren't taking precautionary measures. So I think the precautionary measures now are expected. Um, I would expect them. And you know, we still, this is Florida and this is not South Florida. There is an older clientele here and it's been said that they're more vulnerable than, than younger people. So I, I just want to try and set peace of mind. You know, I've written a whole new menu. So when they come, they have all these new choices and hopefully getting out of the house a couple of times and eating here and understanding that, okay, these guys are really trying hard to do what's right for fear of the unknown and they'll start to loosen I, I guess not loosen up but just trust more that makes sense that makes good sense so I, I noticed on your Instagram it was um, you know you're 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 taking guests by reservation only um, now have you have people already started booking up or do you, do you sense an eagerness of for people to be back in a restaurant eating? eating in this environment? I'm fairly full for this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, you know, maybe I'm at 75% so far, which I'm flattered by. I'm, you know, people want to come out and eat. It makes me feel great. And then, so what we'll do is we'll do, we'll do these three days and then we'll take a step back and we'll see if you want to continue. We'll, we'll, we'll see how it went. We'll see what the people felt, see how we think we did as a team. And, and, and reassess and remeasure, you know, do we want to shut it down for another couple more weeks and just do takeout or do we want to go forward? So we're in a learning period. All right. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you think people should know as they, uh, as they follow in, in, you know, there's, listen, it's, it's like every state's doing their own thing. Um, you know, there are people out there who are going through what you're going through. What, what, what are your learnings so far? What are the questions? Just if I give you the floor to just sort of, uh, Free associate for a minute or two. What's what else is on your mind? One thing that's on my mind, and, and not in a bad way, but in an understanding way, is the counties south of me. So Palm Beach, Broward, and Miami Dade are still on complete lockdown. They can't open, restaurants can't open. And they now know that we are open. And I have a fair amount of customers that come up here to dine. And I don't know if I'm being fearful or wary, but I think I'm going to get a lot of those people up here from areas of the state that have been really hit hard when we haven't been hit hard. And just, you know, again, fear of the unknown is 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 uh, making me say that. You mean what? There's a concern that, that uh, people coming from an area with higher contamination rates? Exactly. Yeah. You know, people wanting to get, to get out of Miami, get out of Lauderdale, get out of Palm Beach, where it's been... It's been rough and come up here where we haven't had anything because they can feel human again for a day, two days, you know, three days, go to the beach, have a nice restaurant um, and just get out. But the point is what of that, that you hope people are being responsible? Exactly. I mean, like there are some restaurants in town that, as I said, opened up the day that they were legally allowed to and they weren't 
they weren't upholding any of the mandates. And to me, that's that's not being responsible. You're not being responsible to your guests, to your employees, and to the community. Just, you know, you're opening to make money as opposed to doing it the correct way. And that, that bothers me. And that I, I don't want that to be the cause when we have to shut it back down again because people were not responsible. Point taken. I mean, it is interesting. You know, I'm in New York and, and uh, you know, there is an effort. Uh, I mean, it's not just the tri-state region. It's been extended, I think, to Massachusetts and um, uh, I forget exactly what the, but there's been an effort at a regional strategy as much as possible, right? And it's the point you just made that if if, say, the beaches in New York are closed, but the beaches in New Jersey are open, then everybody flocks to the beaches in New Jersey, including New Yorkers. I mean, it's a different, I think for us, what would be considered regional for you all down there, I mean, you are in my home state, um, you know, would be considered a multi-county strategy, right? Like if if all the counties were on the same page, you wouldn't have this concern that you have. Correct. Correct. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I, it's, listen, we're, everyone's trying to figure it out. It's, it is an interesting thing, but I appreciate your honesty about that. That's the correct statement. We're all trying to figure it out. We have to figure out what's going to work, what's going to be safe. Can you make money? You know, it's, there are, a ton of unanswered questions from, you know, every facet of what I do to what basically every facet of what everybody else does. You know, are my kids going to go back to school next year? Um, will there ever be another football game that I go to? You know, who knows? No one knows. I, I actually don't know what the answer is going to be to school in the fall. That I don't know. I, I think that's something that people are a little bit in denial about. I don't, I think it's far from a given that, 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 that happens in a physical way. Um, you know, school boards will have the whole summer to get their online act together. Um, and I think that's going to be a big piece of it, you know? Um, uh, you know, they sanitized our local school, I think, on two different occasions when people, before the shutdown. And, you know, I my whole thing was like, okay, I under, you know, I appreciate they're sanitizing the school, but then, you know... Hundreds of kids were going to show up back on Monday, on Monday, like using the bathroom and God knows how many of them actually washed their hands and, and touching doorknobs and, you know, lockers and, you know, the trays in the cafeteria. I mean, it just seemed to me that all that work was going to be undone within the matter of like, you know, the first hour of school. I agree. You know, yes, we have had our inside of the restaurant cleaned, scrubbed, whatever you want to call it, but who knows when one person will walk through the door that might be a carrier and, you know, boom, we're back to square one. So you don't know. All right, man. Well, listen, good, good talking to you as always. I appreciate you being so open and honest about all this. I do think it is helpful to people as, you know, I mean, before too long, people in Cal, you know, even places that have been in, in early lockdown and, and, and the most strict lockdown are going to start taking these baby steps. I think California before too long. I think New York event, you know, it's good. Everyone eventually. And, you know, a lot of states are already starting to do this. So I, I, I appreciate you sharing your outlook and your approach. Well, from, from my standpoint, I, I, I turn it back to you. I thank you because you're spreading information out there that people might want to hear or have not thought about yet. So you, you are doing a service to everybody in our industry. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate that. All right. We will talk soon. Yes. Thanks again to Scott Ferricchio for making the time to be in touch this week. Scott, I wish you all the best tomorrow as you take your first baby steps toward reopening your restaurant. I hope it goes well. It seems like you're doing everything possible to make that the case. So I wish you all the best with that. I do want to make one quick side note, and this is a personal note for me. This is actually not a response to any listener feedback, although some listeners may have noted this. The show has been a little heavily weighted toward white male guests recently. I do try, as longtime listeners know, very hard to keep this show as diverse as possible in as many ways as possible, male and female, different cultural backgrounds, sexual orientation, geography, age range. So... This is not by design. I've actually been working as hard as I always do to try to keep the guest list diverse here. There have just been some issues with scheduling and people's availability. Some people haven't gotten back to me, which at this time I, I especially don't take personally. A lot of people are struggling to keep their businesses afloat or doing advocacy work. And you know, podcast invites are probably not high on their list. But I did want to acknowledge for anyone who was wondering 
that I have been trying to keep this show as diverse as it always is. And I hasten to add that I don't mean this in any way to disparage today's guest who simply accepted an invitation of mine. But if anyone out there was wondering about that, that is the explanation. And I did want to proactively share that in case it's been on anyone's mind other than my own. Our next guest is Ian Bowden. Ian is the chef owner of The Shack. The Shack is a 26-seat restaurant in Stanton, Virginia. Ian is originally from Northern Virginia and trained for about 10 years in New York. And he's been in operation there in Stanton for about six years. He is in full lockdown mode. And I should mention both Ian and the guests who follow him, Craig from Gracie's A Pizza, are people I don't know personally. They're actually listeners to the show. And they are people who got in touch with me originally through Instagram messaging. And And eventually we found our way to the phone. This is something I mentioned earlier this week that I would be having some listeners on who I thought had interesting points of view to share. And I wanted to get Ian on again. This is a show we're focusing on three stages of lockdown. Scott's just about to come out of it. Ian is still fully in lockdown mode. And with that, here is our conversation about his current situation. The 28th was our last service. Um, we, uh, going into it, uh, we tried to pivot and we did so for about two weeks. Um, and for the restaurant itself, because of our location, our overhead's pretty low. Um, so for the restaurant itself, it was financially fine. Um, but for my staff, it was not. Um, when we pivoted, um, you know, of course, we kept our staff in the loop the whole time um, as things started to progress. Um, but uh, as we pivoted, we had a staff meeting and basically what I did, because uh, I knew that the money from curbside pickup wouldn't be enough for my front of the house to, to live, um, I gave them all raises. Um, so here, the minimum wage for tipped employees is still two fifteen an hour. Um, I bumped everybody up to 10 bucks an hour, hoping that that would you know, um, increase their, their wages a bit. And unfortunately, it did not. Um, you know, $300 a week is really just not enough for anybody to live off of. Uh, so after two weeks of it, we, we decided to shut down. Were you, were you doing business and it just wasn't sufficient to, to kind of, to kind of square the, square the circle? Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the truth is that, you know, our check average here per person is between 60 and a hundred dollars, depending on wine purchases, obviously. Um, and we went from, you know, that check average down to about $20 a person. So volume wise, we were doing great, but the dollars just didn't make sense. Um, and, and, you know, our community was super supportive. Um, the tips were extravagant, but still, you know, you know, when you get a a $20 tip, you know, uh, in a restaurant like this is, it's just not, it's just not enough. Um, so it it was, it was really hard. And then with all the, with the care act going through and the additional, uh, funds by the federal government for unemployment, you know, they, it just, I didn't feel like it was fair for me to keep them here making significantly less than they normally would when there was an opportunity for them to be home. Um, and you know, for once, you know, have the income that they actually needed to pay bills. Um, you know, I've got all kinds of staff raging in age. Um, they've all been with me for a long time and they have mortgage payments. Luckily, none of them have kids, but they all have mortgage payments. They have student loans, you have know, got car payments and, you know, you, what, what do you do with $1,200 a month? You know? Okay. So when I first got on the, on the line with you just a few minutes ago, I didn't know this and it, it kind of speaks to me to how, kind of decentralized this uh, crisis is in terms of how it's being handled. But you told me there was an announcement from your governor yesterday. What's what's the news there? So basically, uh, the governor announced um, that as of the 18th, which is a week from this Friday, um, we're going into phase one reopening is how they're phrasing it. And so um, they're still encouraging people. Uh, they, they changed it from uh, – uh, what is it? Uh, stay at home to safe at safer at home um, order. Uh, and in in this first order, um, they're allowing restaurant dining rooms to open back up. Um, they're allowing hair salons, tattoo parlors, um, a, a whole myriad of of different small businesses that are considered non essential to open back up. Um, but they stated that there would be strict regulations on how they could proceed uh, and. Um, and the lack of leadership that we've all seen, um, not to get political, um, you know, side note, our, our governors, I feel that our governor's done a very good job, um, but up to this point, but they release this information with no leadership and in that we have no guidelines yet. And this is day 
three without guidelines. Um, so in my opinion, if they're going to make that announcement, they need to have the guidelines ready for us so we can kind of plan what we're doing. I'm sorry, you and I are, you and I are talking on Wednesday. This announcement was on Tuesday. So as you and I are... Uh, it was Monday, I'm sorry. Well, it was Monday. Okay. So on Wednesday, though, you don't have any guidelines yet. You're talking about being able to reopen nine days from the, as we speak from now. Correct. And, you know, can I just ask, though, you know, you made this comment, um, you know, not to get political. Do you even consider that to be a political statement? Um, yes and no, because I feel like up to this point, our governor's been pretty, pretty firm. I mean, he, he did close a week later than D.C. and um, in Maryland. Um, um, he's been pretty firm on, on the science and staying, staying true to the science. And I feel like the move he's making right now is much more of a political move. I feel like he's getting a lot of pressure uh, to get businesses to reopen. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, it's, it, it's politics. So he said a lot of fucking contradictory things, you know, one thing up one, at one point he's standing there saying, you know, I'm not here to uh, hurt you. I'm here to help you. And I'm trying to keep you safe. And then in the next breath, we're opening up. And then the next breath we see a spike coming, you know, it just, it, so, yeah, I feel like it's political pressure. Now, what for you does that mean in terms of, you know, what a number of people have pointed out? I, I, I've seen most of these statements coming out of the state of Georgia that once you have permission to reopen, then it changes your ability. For example, it changes the ability of your employees to file for unemployment because in theory you could be open and they could be working. Is, is this a concern in your state? It's a huge concern. Um, it was actually brought up at the press conference uh, by a reporter, and of course, they have no information. Um, you know, <laughs> the the Virginia Employment Com- the VEC here, Virginia Employment Commission, um, their their I mean, their system is antiquated, and they obviously, just like the rest of us, weren't prepared for this. Um, communication from them has been horrible, um, and we don't know what that means. So we don't know if it means that if we're allowed to open back up, that everyone's unemployment goes away. You know, we just don't know. Um, if that happens, um, we're going to see more financial issues than than I previously thought. You know, um, as far as local small economies go, um, you know, forget about the stock market. You know, it's it's gonna it's gonna hit small towns like ours and you know big cities like New York in a huge way if they pull unemployment. So, which way are you leaning? I mean, do you think you're going to open in some fashion a week from Friday? And also, I guess in tandem with that question would be. Do you have the ability as we're entering, you know, late spring slash summer on the horizon, do you have the ability to seat outdoors at all? So we do have a patio. It's very small, but so is our dining room. I mean, our dining room is 26 seats. My whole restaurant is 450 square feet. Square feet. So, I mean, you know, there, I, I know there's going to be um, um, limitations on, on capacity. And I've heard some people say that they're going to do 25%. I've heard some people do say they're going to do 50%. But the truth of the matter is, at 25%, that gives me six seats. You know, that, that doesn't pay the bills. You know, so it, for us, it just doesn't make sense. Um, um, you, know, you know, we've been toying with opening back up two days a week to just to do curbside uh, with just me and my sous chef um, and, and running it all through, you know, uh, Talk, which, does, which built a takeout system very quickly once all this started. Um, and, and actually, I have a call with them today to figure out how to do it. Because uh, we are going to do a couple pop-ups, um, but yeah, we're we're debating on opening Fridays and Saturdays, just doing curbside. But the combination of curbside and six seats, it just it, the numbers just don't work. I mean, even even in our market where our overhead is significantly lower, my rent is. Anytime I tell a friend from the city, you know what my rent is, they get angry immediately. <laughs> you know, our rent's nothing, our overhead's nothing, but um, but I still have to pay my staff, and you know, our food cost is not nothing. You know, and my farmers are important to me and I'm not going to start ordering shit product, you know, to, to make things work. That's not what we do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for, for us, it just doesn't make sense to open up with that limited capacity, even with takeout. So as we sit here today, it sounds like you're you don't know. I mean, you don't know when you'll be you don't know when you'll be open. Yeah, I, I, I'm you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to sift out the emotional connection to my restaurant and the business side. Um, um, and, and the, and figuring out the logistics and we're small. So with some things, it's very easy to pivot, but it also makes things a lot more difficult for us to pivot. We don't have the manpower and we definitely don't have the financial backing. Um, you know, I built this restaurant with my wife, uh, 
you know, with our own two hands. Um, it's very much a DIY restaurant. Uh, and, and so there's no deep pockets, you know, um, you know, yesterday I sat in the restaurant and, you know, paid the, the monthly bills that had to be paid and, you know, our bank accounts pretty much zeroed out. Um, you know, so yeah, yeah, it, it, I'm trying to, trying to do the best thing for my staff, um, and for my family. Um, and, and I don't know quite yet what that answer is. If you had a direct, you know, pipeline to whatever local government, federal government, if, if you could have your voice kind of projected right now, what would be the, what would be one or two things that would make the biggest difference to you from, uh, you know, from, uh, clearer projections to uh, financial assistance? Like what are the, do you have a sense of what the things are that are most lacking just specifically in your case, where you sit geographically? For us, I think that the financial assistance is the most important thing. Um, You know, we can, we can ride this out um, as long as we need to, um, you know, but we can't do it in our uh, past incarnation. So, I mean, part of this is the restaurant itself adapting, um, which to be, to be truthful, you know, restaurants are constantly changing, evolving beings. You know what I mean? Um, every restaurant, you know, the restaurant that we opened six years ago is sure as hell not the restaurant we have now. Um, so I mean, we need to learn to adapt to an extent as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, having some, some financial support from, from local or federal government would be great. And I, you know, in my opinion, PPP, um, isn't working and won't work. Um, and for a restaurant like mine, where there's only two salaried employees, um, you know, PPP definitely doesn't work. Um, you know, the EIDL grant, um, we applied for, um, and, um, they, the SBA ran my credit, uh, three weeks ago and I have not gotten the dime yet. Um, and there's been zero communication. Um, you know, but once again, that, that that money that they're offering, you know, is a week's worth of sales for us, which I mean, what does that really do? You know? Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, I think having financial support would be a huge help. I think having some tax benefits would be great as well. Um, I understand that small towns, especially like ours um, are suffering because they get the majority of their tax dollars uh, from tourism uh, and, and from, you know, restaurant business um, restaurants. So I understand that they're hurting too, um, but without us, there is no city. So um, there needs to be some kind of some kind of accommodation made to us, um, and there hasn't been any. Um, not only has there not been any, uh, any any changes made in the local city government, um, but they haven't even reached out to any of us. Um, there's no open line of communication. Uh, there's no return phone calls. There's there's nothing. Um, they've had three emergency city council meetings, maybe four at this point. And they have not talked about small business during any of them. Not just restaurants, but small business in general. Yeah. Like, I mean, honestly, man, they're still giving out parking tickets in our downtown. Um, and, and the parking tickets are getting given out to business owners who are trying to maintain their shops. It, it, it's, it's insane. And there's no tourism here right now. So there's no parking shortage. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 and plus the city's paying these two part-time workers to hand out tickets when they could be on unemployment like uh, everybody else. You know what I mean? It just, there's, there's, there's no logic. Wow. That's crazy. So somebody's in their store. What is it? Are there, are there meters? What do you have there? No, we don't have meters. It's, it's a two hour parking. So somebody like yourself, somebody that owns a, you know, a, a five and dime, somebody that owns a hardware store, they're inside, whether or not they're, if they're an essential business, maybe they're trying to make some money. If not, they're in there doing their paperwork or figuring things out. And if they're in there for more than two hours, they get a ticket. Correct. It's insane. It's insane. I mean, and it's not even just the ticket that pisses me off so much. It's that the city is paying two part-time, you know, uh, meter maids to, uh, to hand out tickets, you know, in a time of a pandemic, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, th- their money needs to be allocated to more important things, like making sure that we have businesses when we open back up, making sure that the town doesn't go bankrupt, making sure that we, you know, we don't have a, a downtown full of empty storefronts. You know, it, honestly, it wasn't that long ago in Stanton where the downtown was pretty much abandoned. Um, there was literally tumbleweeds blowing down the street, you know, uh, 20 years ago. Um, you know, it, and they've made great strides and uh, invested in tourism and invested in the community. And I feel like they're just sliding back quicker than uh, they can catch themselves. Can I ask you a question? There's a listener out there. Uh, they will know who they are. 
Uh, I, you know, I had Jeff Gordoner and Hugh Atchison on a few weeks ago, um, right after Jeff's piece ran and right after Hugh had said he wasn't going to reopen after Governor Kemp down in Georgia. And I got this question from a little, we had a very, I mean, we've actually stayed in touch a little bit, you know, and, and the, and I think the feeling being expressed that, that I was, it was a very one-sided show. It was very anti Trump and I guess by extension, Republican administration. Um, and I was asked this question whether or not uh, I had heard from any chefs who and restaurateurs who felt like the uh, administration was doing them right, you know, who was happy with the response. And I honest, I, and this is an honest answer. I, nobody. I mean, I haven't heard from anyone in the industry. You know, and I don't like to really share my numbers, but I will tell you thousands and thousands of people have been listening to these special reports. I think they're mostly industry listeners. I mean, you're you're in a somewhat relatively rural area. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you uh, have colleagues down there who are on the uh, on the Republican side of the fence. Do you do. know do you know anyone in the industry or people on the right? Um you know, because the question was put to me, and again, for this listener, you know who you are. We've been in touch as recently as as the other day. Um, uh, I'm, I, you know, I'm seriously curious. Do you know even people on the right who are happy with the Republican or or Trump administration response as far as this industry goes? No, not one person. Not one person. Um, I, I dealing with what we're dealing with. I, I think it's hard to think that um, a good job has been done by our administration. <laughs> You mean because everyone's uh, fe- everyone's feeling the pain? Yeah, we're all feeling the pinch. We're all we're all we're all scared. You know, um, we're all highly motivated, definitely, but we're all scared. We, we have no clue what our future looks like, and and um, and and we don't feel that we're being set up to succeed. Where we feel that we're being set up to fail. Um, you know, uh, you know, I, <laughs> the, the the fast food chains are, are going to be the ones who come out of this unscathed. Um, um, every small business, you know, um, is going to be hurt by this. And, and, you know, I feel like there's, they're, they're throwing breadcrumbs and expecting us to be happy with it. And it's just not the case. It's just not the case. When you first reached out to me, um, you know, and I mentioned at the beginning of this week, I was going to be speaking to a few listeners who have been in touch who I've, you know, uh, gotten into kind of longer exchanges with and ended up having phone calls with and invited on the show. Uh, you know, the question you put to me, I think maybe initially it was a follow-on to the Amanda Cohen interview yeah. we did, yeah, um, right. you know, about what the industry is going to look like, right? So if you are able even at this point to imagine a, you know, I guess we all think it's going to be, I mean, possibly if there's a great treatment that comes up soon or maybe it you know, won't happen until there's a vaccine. Um, but when you imagine, you know, getting past, you know, out of the woods of this situation, do you, what are you thinking? I mean, do you have a sense of what restaurants are, I mean, you have an already small restaurant. Um, uh, you know, I, a number of people have spoken to me recently about just the psychological trauma of this moment. Um, uh, what do you think? What, what's your thinking right now? Do you think, do you think, I guess I should start by asking, do you think we'll ever get back to, to, to the way things were, you know, it's amazing to hear these words come out of my mouth eight, eight, eight weeks ago. Uh, Honestly, I don't think we ever should go back to the way we were. Um, I think uh, the restaurant business right now, our industry is really mimicking the the housing market, you know, in in 07, 08. Um, You know, it's overinflated. Um, Now, when I say that, I don't mean that I want to see restaurants fail. Um, You know, the the failure rate in restaurant business is super high already, but I think it's been, you know, propped up a little bit um, by a lot of media attention um, and, and interest in food in general. Um, so I think I, I'm, I, I've been saying for years that, that the restaurant business is going to crumble to an extent, um, in the future. And I guess this is kind of forcing the issue a little bit. Um, I think there's going to be a lot in, I've heard projections from 80% to 20% of restaurants won't reopen. And I, I, I my personal feeling is it's going to be around 50%. Um, uh, the, the way people do business is definitely going to change. Unfortunately, um, I think this uh, takeout delivery um, model is going to is going to go forward for a long time. Um, I know that in our community, at least, once you make a change, um, that you know 
even if it's intended to be a temporary, um, it, it, it becomes a permanent because uh, guests get confused um, and um, expectations change. So one of the things that I'm dreading is us continuing to do a separate takeout menu when we open back up uh, because uh, it's going to make for a more difficult experience for us in the kitchen to make sure that the guests in the dining room are taken care of the way we want to take care of them and how we want to cook for them. Um, so I, I, yeah, I think, I think takeout and delivery is going to be a, a new standard, uh, unfortunately. Um, you know, I think, like I said, a lot of restaurants will shut. Um, I think the way we treat our employees will definitely change. It's something that we've been working on here, um, for the last six years, you know, we started out offering health insurance. We started offering gym memberships. Um, the, the hourly, uh, I'm sorry, the minimum wage um, in Virginia is starting to go up. They're planning on, I think, by 20, uh, 2023, it's going to be $15 an hour. And I mean, just a reference point, um, Stanton is a population of 24,000 people. Our surrounding co- county is another 24,000 people. And the medium household income for a family of four in this area is about $30,000 a year. So $15, $15 an hour is, is, is a lot of money in this area. Um, but yeah, so we, we've been working on increasing our, our, our rates um, and what we pay our staff. And so when we open back up, my staff will still be getting 10 bucks an hour uh, because I need to make sure they can survive with, uh, with the limited business. Um, so I think those kind of things will, will carry over uh, because once you give them that, you can't take it away. And I wouldn't want to, honestly. Um, yeah, and the, the format of dining is going to be changing. I think, I think uh, the... the, the I think there's going to be a lot less walk-in traffic and I think it's going to depend more on, on reservations. Um, you know, the system we use allows us to sell tickets and I think that's how we're going to go forward. Um, you know, with 26 seats, when we have a no call, no show on a Friday night, it's painful, but when we're limited to how many people we can actually have in the dining room, um, and there's a no call, no show, we, that'll put us out of business. Um, so the only thing way we're going to be able to survive going forward, I think is by ticketing. Um, so it'll all be prepaid meals. Um, and limited reservations. And I, I think that's going to be around for a while, a long while. All right. Well, listen, I wish you all the best. Um, I, I wish somebody, I wish I had, I wish somebody had answers to have conversations and have no advice and no, um, solutions, or no good thoughts to be able to offer. It's, it's, it's very dispiriting. I mean, I think on both sides of this conversation. So, um, you know, all I can say is I wish you all the best. Yeah. Thank you very much, man. Thanks again, Ian, for being in touch. I do hope you are able to be open before too long and that at the very least that there is some clarity for you before too long. Our last guest is Craig Malillo. Craig is the chef and owner of Gracie's A Pizza in Portland, Oregon. He has just recently started doing takeaway a few nights a week. Craig is from the East Coast of the United States. He grew up in Connecticut and then Philadelphia, Did a lot of different work in the restaurant, food service, hospitality worlds, everything from working for a cheese company to a coffee company when he was in his 20s. He moved out to Portland about three years ago, started Gracie's out of a pizza truck, and then just last fall opened it as a full-service restaurant. And again, a listener who got in touch, we ended up chatting by phone. I thought he had some interesting things to share And I think it's a great balance to Scott and Ian. You know, Scott's down in the southeast in a, a, you know, midsize area. Ian's in a relatively small rural area in Virginia. And Craig is in Portland, Oregon, which is one of, I think, probably, you know, by most people's measure, one of the major food cities in the United States right now. So with that, here is my conversation with Craig Malillo. When we spoke not that long ago, you were on the, I think you were within a week of doing your, so you had basically been shuttered for a period of time during lockdown, and you had just decided that you were going to start doing uh, once a week on Friday nights, uh, pizza, takeaway pizza to uh, for your customers and see how that went. Um, so how many of those have you done now? And, and just tell people kind of what was your motivation to start doing that? And how, how, how has it been going? Um, I mean, the motivation was, um, kind of twofold. Um, a lot of my staff has had difficulties getting, uh, onto their unemployment for now. They finally all have been approved, although I'm still waiting on them to actually receive, um, 
receive money. Um, so part of the concern, for lack of a better word, was to really get operating to bring in some revenue in case um, they needed to be paid in some form um, for their lives. <laughs> so that was like a big, a big part of it. Um, we had been in the shop a lot doing a lot of it's sort of donation based food. And so having been there, it also just kind of felt like, just felt like something that I also wanted to do, um, while also being mindful of, of all the precautions that I think we're all trying to take. Um, and so I don't know, I kind of just decided on a whim to, to give it a shot. Um, and we're in week three, um, I think, and we're up to about two or three days a week and, um, it's all via Instagram for the most part. Um, I have, I use slotted and basically just have people sign up for a time slot and they come every 10 minutes. Uh, we have a set menu of, of a salad, two pizzas and ice cream. It's meant for two people for a set price. And then the idea is that, um, you know, people just sign up. They don't even ask what the menu is really, which has been really fun. Um, and then we kind of do that set menu uh, every, you know, every week it changes. And so we're up to about two or three days a week. And so far they're selling out really fast in like less than a day. We'll sell out like all of our slots and we're only doing about 25 slots a day. But for me doing it all alone, it's a pretty, it's a reasonably sustainable model, I think, moving forward. And actually kind of the way I'm thinking about modeling the restaurant in the kind of indefinite future, maybe even like post COVID era, whatever that looks like. What do you mean? You mean, uh, more, more takeaway that I don't even know how many seats do you have in your restaurant? I only have about 26 seats inside. And then we have a shared area outdoors of about 40 seats for, um, another restaurant and a bar that are next door, like a cocktail bar. Um, but the idea potentially moving forward is to kind of shift, say we're allowed to start having our dining rooms populated again they're most likely, it seems like people think they're going to be at a limited capacity. Yeah. Like between, th I, I hear numbers around the country anywhere from like 25 to 50%. Exactly. So my theory behind that is kind of use this model as to switch it to the dine-in model. So say we do five to six groups per hour, um, at more of a set menu idea, um, with a much more limited, limited options and more of a set price, even though we're not in a, it's a very casual restaurant, but kind of switching to that model and then allowing people to kind of call in and get takeaway as if they just want a single pizza or something of that nature, but kind of have more of a set menu model for people to to dine in because the reality is we have to find a way to get those ticket prices higher if we're going to have less people. And that's just a, that's just math. Um, so that's kind of been the idea is to try to get people, have everyone that's dining in be around, for me, around a sort of like 20 to $25 per person, which would, you know, get them essentially like a shared three courses of sorts. Something like that is kind of how, I, how I've been thinking about moving forward. And how does that differ from what you've been doing? I mean, I was going to say traditionally, but traditionally for you it was only what, like six months maybe since you opened? Yeah, I mean, for us, we were, we were a counter service pretty much like casual in the sense of like, you know, people just came in and ordered and we bring them food. We kind of call it counter service plus. We try to have this hybrid between sort of not having service, but, but also being taken care of. Um, and that's been working really well, but it's been a very like, uh, kind of more free form. We don't take reservations. It's all walk-in. So it's almost kind of flipping the model to be different so that we can have a more kind of, set amount of people in theory every day. I mean, I've really been enjoying going in every week and knowing exactly what we're doing every day. It's, it allows for real perfect ex closer to perfect execution because you know what you're doing. We know what to order. Um, and we're able to kind of like on the nerdier side, like temp out the dough and have everything be perfect, you know, because we know exactly how many, how many pizzas we're serving in a four hour window or I'm serving. So that's been something that's really been really nice for me. Um, and having no menu has been really nice because it's really tapped back into, in a lot of ways, the, the kind of creative side of, of, why, of why you do this. Craig, before we go any further, can you just clarify for me? You had mentioned early in the interview, 
you know, uh, that your employees, depending on how things suss out with unemployment and other things may need a place to work. But you, you mentioned once or twice, I think if I heard you right, doing the cooking yourself. What's the, can you clarify that for me? Yeah, sure. Um, so I've been operating these last three weeks, um, with these pre-order setups solo. Um, I don't, there's just not enough work or, or revenue to have the staff back. Um, mixed with the fact that my staff is in uh, various kind of way, their transportation isn't always feasible. One takes public trans- transportation, so that's not really a viable option at the moment for safety reasons. Um, another employee lives with someone who's very, very high risk. Um, so those are kind of, those are my two full-time employees. So we're not really in a position currently where I think it's kind of responsible for the business or for them, if that makes sense, for to have employees back. You're trying to keep the ship afloat until a time when either the local circumstances and or the, uh, no, I guess the number of days you're open and the number of, of uh, meals you're selling uh, make it plausible to have employees back in the shop. Yeah. I mean, that's that's really the plan. It's trying to you know, I'm in a very lucky situation that a lot of people aren't where, um, my landlord, I have no rent, um, for pretty much as long as I need. Uh, my landlord's been incredible. Um, so that's really helps cause that puts me in a position to be a little bit more flexible and to really do the things It put me in a position to take six weeks off entirely. Um, and it's allowing me to slowly work our way back in a way that, um, is, is responsible for the, for the business, which is obviously ultimately as imp- it's really important if we're going to start bringing people back, that the business is in a place that is comfortable and can support that. Can you speak to this landlord relationship? Because this, this is obviously one of the biggest things, you know, even for people who say, okay, we're just going to shut it down for now. Uh, we're going to not do any purchasing this, that, and the other, you know, you, there's still this question of rent. I mean, unless people own the building, um, uh, what's, what is your, can I ask like what you just, you explained the situation and your landlord said, I'll ride this out with you or. Yeah. I mean, my, my landlord, his name, his name, his name is Kevin Cavanaugh. Um, and he owns a lot of properties in Portland. Um, a lot of them are restaurants. He wrote all 90 plus of us an email in the first month, uh, I guess, a- uh, April or March and said, nobody has to worry about um, rent for April. Like, I don't want you to think about it. And then we'll address as we move forward. And so I reached out to him come the end of April, about May, and we had a great phone conversation and, you know, his ultimate, the way he summed it up the best was like, I want you to be here to pay rent next April. And so I want to do everything in my power to like, to help you get there. And that means right now, you know, giving you the flexibility to, to not have to worry about rent, um, because you have enough stuff to worry about, which is like really gracious. That's amazing. And we talked about it and the goal is like for, to start maybe paying the triple nets or the property fees, maybe by June, um, assuming we have enough revenue. And then, you know, he's like, I want to see you paying rent because you have enough business. But if you can't, like, I, I don't want that to be a, sh- a stressor for you because I want you, I want you here in the long term. And just so I'm understanding that that first email that you said, he proactively sent that to all of his restaurant tenants. Yeah. We, we, we all got that email as a, as a group. Um, like in the, I guess the set, maybe the last week of, of March, um, we were all kind of talking amongst ourselves. Cause I know a few of the other restaurant owners as well. And, um, and my neighbor, who's also a part of the same, you know, he's the same landlord and, um, they proactively emailed us, which was like really wonderful. It made it just such a uh, release of a burden to have to deal with the potential of fighting with my landlord or negotiating with my landlord or, or any of that stuff, which so many people are are stuck in. Well, what's so, I mean, first of all, it is amazingly gracious. It's great that you were not put in the position of having to ask for that because I know that's an uncomfortable thing. But the other thing is, you know, as people have pointed out to me in some private conversations, and I'm not, I don't own any, you know, commercial real estate and I've never been a restaurateur, but it seems to me, once this was pointed out to me, it seems to me so obvious, you know, this is going to, this is already a dicey economy right now. It's, it's going to be dicier for a time. I think we all probably see that, uh, you know, if you have a restaurant tenant and 
you don't work things out with them, who I don't know who people imagine are going to come into that space in the next, what, 12, 18 months? You know, I mean, who's going to come into a space that's built out and configured as a restaurant and the economy we're, you know, settling into and with the restrictions on commerce that are going to be affecting you guys? Right. I mean, it doesn't make sense to me. Totally. I mean, that, and I think that's the reality, which, which for me made a lot of sense as the landlord, because you might as well make it easy on, on us. Right. Because what's the other option, right? We have, we can't be evicted for the next three months because of the rules. So now we have to get into some unpleasant situation where I have to negotiate or I refuse to pay rent. Um, and then even if you could evict me out, if, and, and I'm a good tenant, like then you're left in a situation where you're just going to have an open space. So I think it, it really, to me, just while it is, it was a great gesture. It also makes the most sense, right? If I'm the landlord to, to continue building a good relationship with me. Um, and I have a, a, a pretty good following and he wants to see me stay in there. So I also think it is in his best interest to keep his, all of his tenants really. Um, because like you said, who, who's going to want to open a restaurant? Uh, in the next six months, eight months, year. At least. Yeah, totally. So can I just ask, this is unrelated to the current situation, but it's something I've become fascinated with. I've interviewed a couple of uh, pizza makers or pizzaiolos, uh, whatever term you like, <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the last year or two. I've interviewed a number of bakers for a, a story I wrote last year. Um, I have never met a more obsessive group of people, even by the parameters of the chef world than uh, bread bakers and <laughs> pizza makers. Um, you used the word uh, nerd out or something like that a minute ago. Are, are you? Do you fall into that camp? Are you one of these people who's just completely obsessed with? Uh, it seems to me like it mostly has to do with the with um, the production of the dough. But I find it also extends to the sourcing of, of the ingredients. Yeah. I mean, no doubt about that for me. Um, I try to not have – I definitely have that mindset. Um, we source really cool flour from a mill in upstate Washington called called Karen Springs. Um, I use two different flours from them. Um, it's all naturally fermented dough. Um, the, the, the process is, is, is incredible. Uh, and the cooking, especially cooking wood-fired – uh, is great. Um, I love all pizza of all kinds, but I often tell a lot of people like I cook wood fired for me because the act of cooking in that way every night is so engaging and fun and creative in a way that you just don't get in other forms of cooking. So to me, you have just this like perfect combination of like of 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 making dough and of 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 how you mix it, of fermentation times, of of all the different qualities. And then you mix that with this sort of like very kind of acrobatic cooking style, for lack of a better, for the best word I can think of. And uh, I love it. I mean, it's it's so fun and it's so engaging every single day. And this is all because what? I mean, when you talk about wood fired, so you're talking about, I mean, every element of what you're describing, this definitely overlaps with, this is why I asked the question, because it is fascinating to me. But basically, you put yourself... Uh, potentially at the mercy of a lot of different variables, and you your training is such that you teach yourself to kind of um, flow and react to all kinds of things, right? From humidity to how the fire is behaving on a given day. Uh, you, I mean, you're not just turning a dial, right? You're building a, a different fire every day, and and your own experience and wisdom allows you to kind of surf that. Is that an accurate way of putting it? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's exactly what it's like. Um, and that's, and that's like a cooking high, right? That's like, you love that. Oh, it's so fun. It's, it's just so fun. Teach, teaching it is so fun because you're teaching stuff that is very instinctual. You know, it's very tactile. It's, 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 I can't teach you how to mixed dough. I can't tell you exactly when the dough is ready. Um, I can't tell you exactly when to put a, a, a piece of wood on the fire, which size piece of wood, which kind of wood, if you should use a compressed log or a, or a larger log or an oak versus a maple, right? There's all these kind of 
really fun dynamics that are shifting around and it's, it's a big puzzle and you get to figure out the best way to yield the result that you're looking for. And two people can cook on a wood fired oven and make you two totally different pizzas with the same dough or you, you know, there's all these different moving factors that I think make it incredibly engaging. Like I hear all this and it just sounds unbelievably anxiety provoking to me. Like, does it ever, <laughs> do, do, do you have off days or there, does that ever become stressful or do you have enough sort of acquired uh, experience now that you can pretty much handle any curveballs? Oh, I think it becomes, I think it definitely becomes stressful. I think anyone who tells you they have enough experience in that environment to not get stressful is got to be embellishing a little bit because there are just days where you get a batch of wood that's not great, you know, and you have to figure out how to navigate when you can't get the wood to, to, to turn into a flame as quickly as you need it to, or it smokes too much or, or something happened with the dough because someone else mixed it because maybe you weren't there that day. And there's all these qualities and some days you're just, it can be really, really arduous because, some days you're fighting certain elements that are out of your control, right? The dough that you have is is the dough that you have. I can't make new dough. Um, it's not to say that any other form of cooking is easy, but if you screw something up, you can refire something in a way that's – you can refire a pizza, but you can't refire the whole batch of dough. Does that make sense? Hundred, you, Yeah, 100%. You got. Um, so that's different, whereas if you, if you overcook a, a steak, you can, you can refire it. And, and you can do it right. But here, if you, if you have a batch of dough that's, say, underproofed and isn't springing like it needs to, there's nothing you can do about it. The dough takes 24 to 36 hours. So that's – but you got to do it, right? I still have people there. I can't, I can't close the doors. Have they given you any kind of a forecast about re, like actual reopening for, for the next phase there or is that still totally up in the air? It's hard to know. We've seen like some rough breakdowns of what – quote unquote reopening will look like, but nothing's really certain. Um, our governor definitely just extended the state of emergency uh, into July. That doesn't really mean much. It just continues to give her the authority to make the decisions that she has to make, such as continuing a stay at home order. We don't really know. I mean, I really foresee this being the model that we have to operate with for a pretty long time. Um, and so Definitely for me, it's about not fighting that and kind of embracing it and finding a way to make it work. And I'm lucky that um, my business model will work uh, in these new forms. Um, but I think as far as I think we're all just waiting. I think it's just a big old waiting game. And that's our show for today. Again, my great thanks to Scott Ferricchio, Ian Bowden, and Craig Malillo for checking in with us during a very fraught time. I really appreciate it, and I'm sure that getting your complimentary stories was invaluable to our listeners. Again, we'd love it if you please check out our Patreon page at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Andrew Talks to Chefs and consider supporting the show directly. There are lots of bonuses that come your way if you do that, and we would really appreciate your help. If you enjoyed this show, please explore our archives at andrewtalkstochefs.com or on your favorite podcast platform. Please tell your friends about us and please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. It is free and new episodes will automatically appear in your podcast queue. Thanks to Wild Turkey Surprise for today's opening music and to After School Special for the music you are listening to right now. Please seek them out online and enjoy more of their music. Thanks to our engineer, Margaret Kelly, for mixing these special reports. Our thanks to Sam Pellegrino for making these special reports possible. And thanks to all of you for listening. Please take care of yourselves, take a breath, and we will all get through this together. See you tomorrow for our weekly Shelter on Plus movie and television review with Allison and Matt Robicelli. <laughs>